to this week's episode of Across the Cemetery. My name's Emma. And I'm Josh. And Josh is leading the episode this week, and I'm actually not sure for a change. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've never got a fucking clue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm act- I didn't mean for a change. I just meant I'm actually, I haven't even got like a hint of what it's about. Because we use the same laptop, so we can't kind of see each other's research, but I actually don't have an idea this time. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> This week we're going to be talking about workhouses. Oh. Popularised by the famous Charles Dickens novel, Oliver Twist, workhouses were sadly a part of many societies for hundreds of years. Their history in the UK dates back to the 14th century when the Poor Law Act of 1388 was passed to tackle the labour shortages following the Black Death. Subsequent laws that were passed further heightened the government's input on what those who were less fortunate should be doing when it came to working and receiving help from the state. Essentially, these laws told that those who were able and willing to work should work in exchange for government help in the form of food and shelter. Those found to be able to work and not willing would be made to enter a house of correction. This would serve as punishment for their persistent idleness and further reinforce that should you want to receive help from the state, you need to earn it. By the Victorian era, warehouses had transformed from a form of social justice tool into institutions that were more likened to prisons. Most towns had at least one warehouse to deal with the poor. The so-called New Poor Law was introduced in 1834, essentially not allowing any form of government help to the poor unless that person entered into a warehouse. Furthermore, the warehouses were now to be run by people referred to as guardians. These guardians would be local businessmen who essentially were using the system for their own gain to reap profit from the labour of the poor, which is, of course, is an absurd concept to accuse the British government of. Well, the British government never do that. No, never. No. I've never heard of it anyway. Never. <laughs> Not in my lifetime. Fuck the government and fuck Boris. <laughs> Boris was like prime minister, like fucking three prime ministers ago. Yeah, but it- Conditions in the workhouses were dire. Families were separated, children forced to work away from their loved ones. How old? Like, I know you said children, but was it like. Children, children? If they could walk, if they could walk. And, oh. so then they could work. They were cramped, often occupied well over capacity with facilities that could not handle the sheer number of people staying there. This led to outbreaks of various diseases which would go untreated, as after all, these were only poor people in Victorian Britain. The demise of the workhouse and its horrendous conditions came about in 1929, when further legislation allowed local authorities to take over the establishments and run them as hospitals. A final change in the law came in 1948 with the National Assistance Act, essentially closing down anything that still resembled a workhouse. When thinking about haunted locations, there are usually a few common grounds that fit the bill and almost invite paranormal activity into those institutions. Places of incredible stress, trauma, anguish and suffering tend to be the hallmarks of a haunted location. That, in theory, makes workhouses a very viable candidate. I've never, like, I've heard about workhouses, but I always thought it was just like factory, like, it was just factories. I didn't think they were anything... Essentially, they are. So, a lot of them were like sort of 
some of them were huge, like spread over acres, and they sort of self-contained little towns in themselves in terms of they grew food, they had their own like little farms. Oh, that's quite similar to around here, isn't it? Like, you know, the houses, like, there's the factories and then they have houses for the workers. And then the richer ones have, like, the managers have, like, the bigger houses. Yeah, but the like people, the the, these people were getting paid to live in these houses. Uh, people uh, in the warehouse were not getting paid. They got to sleep there, they got to eat some of the foods, but uh, they but didn't they get paid. Getting, uh, right, yeah. So I've got not so much stories, but uh, some of them are stories, some of them are just sort of experiences that people have had. Yeah. But we're going to cover three different warehouses. Are they in England, yeah? I know you said England, but did they have them in America? They might have had something similar, but this is all in England. Yeah. Well, Britain. Yeah. The UK. So first off, we're at Ripon Warehouse. Erected in 1854 on the site of an existing warehouse, Ripon Union Warehouse was an establishment built to solve a problem. That problem was a growing number of vagrants and disadvantaged that were populating the area. It is said that those who had the pleasure of residing in this industrious Victorian facility were made to endure hard labour and toil in exchange for a roof over their head and a slither of food to sustain them. One of the main tasks given at this facility was the breaking of stones that were used to build and repair roads in the local area. Upon entering the two-storey main building, which housed the master's quarters, men were segregated off to the east while women were pushed to the west Dining halls and communal areas were located directly behind the entrance building. The design of the structure is daunting, one that gives a feeling of oppression, a feeling that is further reinforced by iron spikes that embellish the top of the boundary walls in the vagrant's yard, ensuring that nobody escapes without completing their work. Combining the dreary repetitive menu to the poor living conditions and segregation, it is little wonder that people went to the workhouses as a last resort. The consensus is that people who entered the warehouse system never expected to leave, and if the stories are to be believed, some souls are still very much active in this warehouse, even though the warehouse itself closed down many decades ago. One report from a visitor to Ripon Union Warehouse recounted that when attempting to contact any roaming spirits by the medium of a Ouija board, a predominant soul kept making themselves known. The spirit identified themselves as Harriet. Although the movement of the planchette had signified that the visitor was not alone, they were still determined to get more evidence of paranormal goings on. It was requested of Harriet that if she were in fact a paranormal entity, would she be able to trigger a sensor by dropping the temperature in the room? Seconds after the request, the screen on the sensor began flashing irrepressibly, signifying that the temperature had dipped by over 5 degrees centigrade. Any doubt in the visitor's mind was quickly dissipating away. They were not alone in the room. A room bathed in darkness, original gothic architecture allowing the only light in the room to be the dull glow of modern streetlights that dared to peep through the large windows. Light that creeped its way across the floor, around halfway across the room and up the legs of a table, just reaching the top and half illuminating the now dormant Ouija board. It was at this table that the visitor got their last piece of evidence. This came in the form of a question to Harriet. Can you make this table move? Expecting a sudden jolt of action, the visitor remained still in anticipation. Around 30 seconds had passed, nothing. 
One minute had gone by. Nothing. Tensions and blood pressure began to de-escalate in the visitor. The stillness in the amber glow of the street lamps reassured her that maybe this spirit she had just supposedly picked up on was nothing more than a figment of her imagination. Harry picked up on the scepticism. The table shuffled. Not coming off the ground, but moving enough to the side to create an audible scraping sound on the floor. Cat-like reflexes shot the visitor's field of vision from the exit door to which she was just heading back to the table. One side of the table raised slightly, halting at the peak. The legs were maybe a centimetre from the floor, but they were off the floor. The thudding of the wooden table legs colliding back onto the oak floorboards jolted the shock into the visitor. She had asked for proof and Harriet had provided it, undeniably. Researching through records of inmates of Ripon Union Workhouse reveals a number of persons named Harriet that were unfortunate to have called this institution their home, but one stands out among the rest. There was a lady named Harriet who was residing in Ripon not long after its opening in 1854. It is said that Harriet tragically died by suicide in the staircase of the main entrance building. Maybe the inhospitable conditions and rigorous labour were too much and tormented Harriet to the point where she could no longer live under such circumstances. Maybe it is this tension and sorrow that Harriet felt in life that has caused her spirit to remain in that place. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Um, Harriet's quite, like, and like, I'll say more, but Harriet's quite an old-fashioned name, isn't it? So a lot of ghosts are probably called Harriet. That's what I mean, like, you know, when they were picking up on someone? Yeah. They probably, like, they could have picked up on a lot of Harriet's. Yeah. That's what I mean. And then you said it was reinforced by the fact that there were a few Harriet's. Yeah, there were a few Harriet's, but one stood out as having a particularly traumatic time. Traumatic death as well. Um, I think it's sad that she had to um, die by suicide to escape it, in a way. But then she hasn't escaped it because her soul is still there. Yeah, I wonder if there's any way... She, she could escape it. One point of... Oh, I'm going to probably forget it by the time we get there. Yeah. But a lot of people were buried in pauper's graves who went to workhouses, so they weren't given a proper religious burial. And a lot. It was obviously, Great Britain was a very religious place at yeah. the time. So... It was just, like, put in a grave? More or less, yeah. Like, you didn't have, like... Maybe with, like, multiple people as well, multiple uh, different people from different families and yeah. stuff like that. So... Maybe if they were exhumed and given a proper burial, yeah. potentially, that they could be then at rest. But then they shouldn't be playing with Ouija boards. That was the visitor, that wasn't Harriet. Yeah, I know, that wasn't Harriet. But, um, what was I going to say then? It's cool, they're sort of like, I know they're not, they're not nowhere near as bad, but they do give off like the sort of concentration camp type of place, don't they? Like the spikes that no one can escape and stuff. Yeah. So essentially prisons but not prison you can leave but there's no point in leaving because you have nothing nothing so you can't support yourself you can't go to work you can't pay for food you can't do anything so they had no choice they had to stay did they have any like free time or was it just work constantly depends on where you were so Uh, i've seen various reports one would be like eight hours work a day which is pretty regular yeah and then others would be like 10, 12, 14 hour working days, yeah. depending on what it was, what they're doing. But it tends to be really monotonous work. Um, often 
dictated by the local guardians, which who were businessmen essentially. See that I don't think that sounds like guardians. Sounds a bit like the concentration camps as well. Like it's just not nice. It's horrible that we treat people like this. So unfortunately, yeah, has happened. You just got to learn from it and move on. The second place we're going to visit is Leeds Union Warehouse. Sorry, if you're wondering where Ripon Union Warehouse is, it's like uh, Yorkshire way. It sounds quite Yorkshire, Yorkshire, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) But then we're also going, in a similar sort of area, we're going to Leeds. (laughs) So, under architectural guidance from the same brains that designed Ripon Warehouse, William Perkin and Alicia Blackhouse, construction of the Leeds Union Warehouse came to completion in 1861. At its peak, the facility could house around 800 people and was also built to meet the increased demand for social help, the term help being used very loosely. To give you an idea of how these facilities aided the most vulnerable in society, they would place those with mental health issues onto what they called an idiotic ward. These wards were not staffed by experts, but by inmates from the main block or casual ward who were remunerated for this work with extra bread and cheese. The building today is used as the Thackeray Museum, which showcases a range of medical equipment and history. This is fitting as the building was also used as a World War I hospital for soldiers returning from Europe, and later part of the St. James's Hospital before becoming the museum it is today. So it's going to have um, bad energy on it, isn't it? One of the exhibitions at the museum is a recreation of early 19th century Leeds, specifically depicting a street scene that is said to play on all senses, educating those who visit on why those unsanitary conditions were ripe for illnesses. Although these replica streets were built for an enlightening purpose, they do appear to be plagued by another form of activity. Pun was intended. Some reports detail the sound of footsteps that can be heard pounding the faux streets, which span across most of the basement area. The main theory that is toyed with is that the spirits that linger in the Leeds warehouse may find some sort of comfort in the scenes that have been set up, potentially reminding them of a time before their warehouse experience. Further tales place the Grey Lady as one of the paranormal spectres that roam the halls of the now medical museum. The identity of the spirit is unknown, but from the immense turnover and residence that the warehouse alone had, it could be one of a number of people. Visions of her are said to be fleeting, the kind of thing you will see in the corner of your eye before quickly twisting your body around just to find that nothing is actually there. One investigation conducted in the X warehouse that can be found on YouTube, I'll leave a link for this in the description, did appear to pick up on some very light, potentially paranormal noises. These may be explainable to a degree, but there is no doubt that some did seem a bit odd. Notably, however, they didn't capture any visual apparition on film. A final note that I would like to make on Leeds Warehouse and its its paranormal activity strangely has nothing to do with the warehouse itself. You see, one of the main alleged apparitions seen at the facility is that of Mary Bateman, who is better known as the Yorkshire Witch. She was executed on the site which the warehouse was built in 1809, around 50 years before the warehouse itself was constructed. Mary was tried and found guilty for a number of different crimes that included murder and fraud. It is claimed, however, that following Mary's killing, 
his skin was sold off in shreds to different parts of the country as an alleged method of deterring witchcraft and evil. The skeleton of Mary Bateman was also stored on the site of the workhouse for many years, likely for supposed medical purposes. It is no wonder that somebody who suffered so much torment, even following their passing, would be left with an unrestful soul. Potentially, Mary Bateman is an explanation of the infamous Grey Lady that wanders the halls of Leeds Workhouse, but I do feel that if shreds of my skin had been sold off to different parts of the country, I would want to be able to visit the different parts, like a sort of afterlife holiday. Do people use my mother worse than the witch? Or just as bad? Well, I, d- I don't really know fully what she did. I know murder and fraud were part of the crime she was charged with, but you have to also understand this was the like the early 1800s. Yeah, so Things probably... were a lot different. Yeah, true. With, it's not like medical science now. I know. Oh, it's just annoying that she's done that to a poor lady, even though she was passed away. Yeah. Very superstitious, and some may say backwards, some may say there's a lot of truth to it. It's, it's up for debate. It, mm-hmm. it may have been a, a deterrent for witchcraft and evil. It Who may knows? still be. You it may know. still be. We don't know where them shreds are. Well, I imagine they've all decayed away by now. Yeah, they will have one. Yeah. But apparently a skeleton was, was kept in the building for a long time, even after it became a hospital. Oh, really? Yeah. And like, could you see the skeleton? Like, yeah, it was have... it was like in a case, like oh, in a glass yeah. case or a plastic case or something. Yeah. And you could see it, apparently. She's going to haunt it though, isn't she? I would, yeah. I would. Yeah, little bastard. I know. Well, maybe she needs to be in a glass case because if she's evil. I don't think she was evil. She probably wasn't. She was just misunderstood. I get the it. The knife fell into the net. I get it, girl. He probably deserved it. <laughs> so the last trip we're going to make is moving over from mainland Britain to Northern Ireland. Oh. We find ourselves in Derry, London, Derry, opening its doors. For the poor of the area in the winter of 1840, Londonderry Union Workhouse spanned over six acres and could accommodate around 800 inmates. In comparison to its contemporaries, the architecture of this facility is not as intimidating as the others, but the desired result of oppression was still achieved. When visited by officials from the British Medical Journal in 1895, the workhouse was said to have a substandard infirmary ward. Most notably, it was reported that the infirmary lacked properly trained staff, appropriate bedding, and even adequate sanitary facilities. With regards to paranormal activity that occurs in the Londonderry Workhouse, there appears to be one distinct story that stood the test of time and has been recounted by more than one source. The tale concerns a matron, interestingly who worked in the workhouse as part of the establishment and not as an inmate. The role of the matron was to oversee a group of children, putting them to work, teaching them a very basic education, and generally ensuring their well-being, to an extent that is. You see, this matron was feared for her vigorous punishments that would be dealt out with no regard to mercy or fairness. She was a feared woman by the children who were unlucky enough to come under her jurisdiction, Beatings with a cane and intolerable stress positions were commonplace in the day-to-day lives of the children, but hope was given to them when the board of guardians sent for the matron to talk to her about her disciplinary methods. Conversely, the conversation at the meeting was not to the children's advantage. 
The matron was scolded by the board for being too lenient and soft with the children. She was told that her punishments had to be more severe. She had to ensure that the children learned their lesson. That message hit home, and the matron returned to the workhouse with a new vigour for discipline and authority. It was said that any wrongdoing, no matter how minor, was treated as though a capital crime. The matron's new favourite form of retribution was to lock disobedient children in a small cupboard. A cupboard that was just large enough to fit a child and that would sink them into a deep isolated darkness. Children would often be left in this small cell overnight, ensuring that no sleep could be had from the awkward positions. However, it is this cupboard that led to a supposed haunting in the workhouse that is still ongoing to this day. Following a minor altercation with a child over their unwillingness to carry out the tedious job that was allocated to them, the child was sent down a long corridor that led to the cupboard. The tiny holding cell was placed at the end of the corridor on purpose. It was there so that the screams of the children pleading for their freedom could not be heard. It was also secured under lock and key to ensure that no jailbreaks were possible. Shortly after placing this child into custody, the matron was visited by a messenger. This messenger informed the matron that her sister was gravely ill and wasn't expected to last much longer. Upon hearing this news, the matron abandoned her authoritative position and began to pack a bag and make the trip to her sister's bedside. She left within the hour, leaving her post with just a small suitcase and the key to the punishment covered on a piece of twine around her neck. A few days had passed and the matron's sister began to show signs of recovery, despite the initial prognosis. Once sure that there wouldn't be a relapse, the matron repacked her luggage and began the journey back to London Derry Workhouse. Upon reaching her quarters, she began to unpack, meticulously placing her clothing back into drawers and onto hangers in the wardrobe. When it hit her, glancing in the mirror, the matron saw the key dangle from her neck on the piece of twine. A feeling of undeniable dread overtook her, and she felt the anxiety grip the pit of her stomach. She stormed out of her room, making haste down the long corridor to the lone cupboard that was isolated so far away. Her hand trembled as she placed the key onto the lock, but when she creaked the door open, her worst fear had been confirmed. Inside was the body of the child, whom she had placed in there following their disobedience a number of days ago. Grief and unrivaled regret overtook the matron as she tried to come to terms with the fact that she had been responsible for the death of a child, a death that could have been avoided had she not listened to the guardians and stuck to her own rules. This sorrow gripped the matron and was something she could never overcome. Following her passing, it is said that the matron's spirit is still present in the warehouse. The most notable sighting was by a nurse who was working in the building after it became a hospital. This particular nurse had become a patient of the hospital she was working in as she required minor surgery to to cure an ailment. After a successful procedure, the nurse was said to have been waking up from an anaesthetic-induced sleep when she spotted a figure dressed in white walking over to her bed. The facial features of this person were undistinguishable, but the nurse remembered that the figure placed an extra blanket onto the bed and had a soft touch. Perhaps this is the matron's unrestful spirit, 
roaming the halls of the warehouse building, attempting to right the wrongs that she had committed all those years ago by showing compassion and care to those in need. That, obviously it's not as dark, but that, that like little cupboard reminded me of the trophy on Matilda. Apparently in um, the orphanage in Newsham Park, there's a similar cupboard. Oh really? That's yeah. not far from us, are No. So that that's something you, you, they do ghost stories in there, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Which is something I'm going to move on to now. Uh-huh. Which I, I don't really have theories on this one. Okay. So I'll explain now. <laughs> More often than not, when researching an episode. There is usually a number of theories that I'm looking at with regards to potentially proving the existence of something or maybe trying to disprove it. Yeah. But this week it's slightly different in that it isn't a standalone phenomenon. It is a certain type of institution that did clearly exist as there are laws, planning records, maps and even censuses from the time showing how many people were residing in the warehouses. So side note, I'm not sure if every country does this. But a census is essentially a survey that goes around once every 10 years in, in Great Britain and basically takes a note of who lives where and gives the government an idea of the population size. You have to do it by law, don't you? Yeah. Essentially, warehouses invoked incredible feelings of unhappiness, dread, fear, depression and likely a range of other negative emotions into those that resided there. From my research, it seems that people would try to avoid the warehouse by every means necessary as if they did enter into that facility, it was the end of the road for them. They likely wouldn't ever leave. Yeah. That wasn't due to not being able to leave. People resident in warehouses could come and go, but the opportunities of the time were so bleak due to a range of different reasons. One of the main being agricultural, in the sense that if a season went bad, then there simply would not be no work. And for the uneducated, there wasn't many other unemployment options out there. So, if, say, like a farmer, the work dried up or whatever, could he go to a warehouse while he had no work, but then go back to his other life? If, when he Essentially, but it wouldn't generally be the farmer that would do it, because the, the farmer would be able to probably yeah, sustain yeah. themselves. Well, like, they might have a small crop, they have a, a few animals, they'd be, able to, they'd be able to sustain themselves. If the people working on the farms... Like strawberry so, pickers or something. Oh, anyone. I don't know particularly. It doesn't have to be a fucking story. It could be anyone working on a farm. So, at the time, what would usually happen is the farmer would be like the top guy. They would be the person you want to know and be friends with. Yeah. Because they own the land, they gave the employment, and they own the property you probably lived in. Uh, so right. you'd have to pay rent to the farmer. And yeah. if you weren't getting paid from the farmer, how could you pay the farmer his rent? Yeah. So that was essentially how bleak the situation was in a lot of rural parts of England and Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. Ireland. That a lot of um, overcrowding in the warehouses came from the Irish famine. So oh, when people really? came over from Ireland and they didn't have any, you know, jobs to do, they did, yeah. they had to go to the warehouses as well. Yeah. That's that's what they had to do because there was no opportunities to give them. The warehouse system itself likely didn't help the feelings of the inmates. As soon as they arrived, families would be split up, roles allocated. They would be fed the same monotonous menu of food each week, and the conditions by which they lived were far below human standards. All of these things would grind a person down, leaving them with no hope or ambition. It is no surprise that places that cause such feelings are now synonymous as some of the most haunted establishments in the country. 
Many of the buildings that the warehouses operated in do still stand today, although they mostly got changed into hospitals in the first half of the 20th century. Many are now museums or have been converted for other uses. I know that there are a few out there that actually run ghost tours and allow paying guests in during the small hours of the night to experience the airy atmosphere for themselves. In fact, the first two warehouses I spoke of, Ripon and Leeds, run regular ghost tours, which I imagine would be great fun. But of course, remember the key bit of advice, don't use a fucking Ouija board. No. So you know that Nushan one? Yeah. The, the, I really want to go to that, but you use a Ouija board on that, I've heard. Yeah, but you can deny it and say you don't want to use it. Yeah, but if I wasn't with you, I wouldn't have ever thought Ouija boards were that bad. I would have done it. <laughs> but you won't let me. <laughs> Josh, you're such a pain in the arse trying to save my life. <laughs> I don't want to be... I want to be possessed by a demon. Let me do what I want to do. I don't want to be possessed. I just think Ouija boards look nice. Like, I've got that tray upstairs. Well, fucking let it look nice. Leave it alone. Just it's As long as it's young, fucking try and use it. <laughs> I just think they're pretty. <laughs> but, um. It's basically just fucking letters, numbers. I'll buy you a fucking keyboard. <laughs> it doesn't have a sun or a moon on it or I'll something. I'll buy you a fucking witchy keyboard. Okay, then. I guarantee um, there's a keyboard out there that will allow. that have a sun and moon on it. We're just pausing while Josh Googles witchy keyboards. I thought your Ouija boards come off, right? Yeah. They're really shit, then, aren't they? Look at that one. The witch, the witch thing with the hat on. <laughs> we'll just take off, move on. <laughs> I mean, beside the point, I'll find one for you. That was said from Yahoo, because you broke Google for me. I know, I don't know, I've done that. So, a lot of this ghost stuff now, like the fact they do ghost tours there, they're yeah. money grabbing, aren't they? I'm surprised you haven't said that. I'm trying not to be cynical. <laughs> I'm trying to keep an open mind, Emma. Because I think that doing ghost tours isn't that, not not sort of generally money grabbing if they did the ghost tour around the fucking co-op then yeah I'd say that was money grabbing <laughs> you but, I mentioned the co-op last week <laughs> oh it's going soon 18th of February 2023 it's going oh, it's only about a week left R.I.P oh. go look at some bargains next week then. yeah got some Bosch dishwasher tablets didn't they <laughs> fucking 8p a wash in there fuck's sake yeah. they're normally only 11p every penny helps <laughs> Over a hundred. I probably saved us a good thirty p there. <laughs> so three pounds. Oh, I've saved us three pounds. Buy me a keyboard or a Ouija board, did that? Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, because they're in them facilities. I have no doubt that them facilities do have some aspect of paranormal activity. I imagine it varies from facility to facility. I'm not saying every warehouse ever was yeah. was terrible. It's just the general consensus was that. It's not a nice place. Yeah, it's a, it's a place of bad things. Bad things happened in life. So a lot of them felt like prison, but it wasn't prison. The fact that they have guardians and stuff, though. Well, the guardians were board members, so you probably re- never really saw them. Oh, I see. They were just like, say you worked at, for example, Santander. You're never really going to see like the, the board of Santander, are you? No. If, if you work there. No. So it's just that type of thing. Um, there was people, obviously staff that worked there on a day-to-day basis, as depicted in Oliver Twist with the. Oh yeah, he said, "Please, sir, can I have some more?" Yeah, the fat man that stands at the front and dishes out the food. But he didn't eat that, did he? No. Well, I've looked at one of the menus. There's a really good website 
and I can leave the link in the description too. That has a list of all the different warehouses that were open, yeah. and a history of them, and like different bits of information that they can find. So one of them had a menu on, and it was basically throughout the week there was a rotation of about three meals. So it'd be like um, bread and beer for breakfast. Oh. Yeah, bread and beer for breakfast, and some milk porridge, and then for lunch you'd have soup or cooked meat. And then for supper, you'd have something really basic. So it was just like a rotation of soup or porridge or yeah. bread and cheese or something like that. So trying to give them like, like carbs to get their energy up, but it's not that good. Yeah, like but the menu's not good, but they're trying to give them energy. Yeah, the, the basic sustenance yeah. by the sounds of it, just to fuel the work and see yeah, them too. The so maybe they were just seen as more of a commodity as they went in there, but being poor just sort of... Don't be made them not worth being a human. That's that's what it sounds like. And I can't add that that um, phrase or not enough phrase. That thing you've just said, like the sentiment, that hasn't really gone away. No, it's just sort of. It's upsetting. The method of application has changed. Yeah. So now they'll give you benefits, and they won't, they won't make you work if you're disabled, but. Back then, they would make you work if you're disabled. Yeah, or they just get rid of you. Or they put you in an in idiotic that, yeah. ward, yeah, as, they, as they called it. That's right, I couldn't think what it was called. That's bad, that. That was one of the terms in one of the. Is that like the one of the nicest terms? No, that was probably one of the worst oh. ones. But they, they weren't nice. None of them were nice. None of them were like mentally disabled or had learning difficulties or anything. Yeah. Or anything sort of socially acceptable. They were all very like blunt Stinger. and. Harsh yeah. and distasteful. It was a bit like that in those days, though. Yeah, I suppose that political correctness hadn't really evolved. Now we're more woke, aren't we? Stay woke. Stay woke, man. Four twenty. <laughs> no. Four twenty's weird. Oh. One hundred. Stay woke. One hundred. Is that what you mean? Why do you keep doing like the little fucking like okay like hand signal to me like you're a fucking emoji or something? Yeah, that's what I mean. I thought that's what he was doing like the one hundred emoji. Okay. Emma's lost it, I might fucking send it to a warehouse. <laughs> no, don't. I don't like working. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I don't think anyone particularly does like it, but... Okay, so on that note... Actually, touching on, you you stole one of my topics briefly in, in your story. I know, because by the time this comes out, I mean your episode will be out. Oh, okay. Well... If you ever get round to fucking recording it. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, it'd be much appreciated if you could leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening on. If you have any tales, if you've been on a ghost hunt in a warehouse or you live near one and you, you know some stories, you can get in touch with us by email at acrossthecemetery at gmail.com. You can message us or follow us on Instagram at acrossthecemetery. Our TikTok is axthecemetery and our Twitter is axthecemetery. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Bye. Bye. What? <laughs> it just jumped out of it. <laughs> Cat like refresh. <laughs>